At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Father God, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Thank you for how you keep on blessing us. So I'm glad to be in the worship service today. I'm glad, God, I'm glad to give you glory, honor, and praise. And I pray now, God, that as we prepare to receive your word, open up our hearts and our minds that we'll be receptive for what you're about to deposit into our spirit. I thank you for the person that you're saving right now. I thank you for the person that you're healing right now. I thank you for the person that you are delivering right now. I thank you for the person that you are encouraging right now. God, you get the glory, but let fresh anointing remain upon our lives. And then God, I ask as always that you'll let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Why don't you put those sanctified hands together. Let's give God a hand cap of praise. To all of the persons who are sharing with us today in our virtual worship and our online worship experience, I know that you too join with us today in saying God keeps on blessing me. God keeps on making a way for me. And so again, we're so glad, so honored that you are with us today in this worship experience. Wherever you live in Louisville, around the state of Kentucky, around the nation, the world, we are so glad that you're part of this worship experience. And my prayer right now is that in that home that you will allow the Spirit of God to speak to you today through this word that I'm about to share with you on this Sunday morning. I want to continue this series today that I am doing through um, Colossians, Colossians, and uh, this series is entitled, Jesus is All I Need. I'm glad to see two of my special friends this morning, Kathy and Earl. Thank you for being with me today. Amen. God be praised. In Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, I want us to look today at verses 19 through 23, verses 19 through 23, Colossians chapter 1. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, that is Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, 
which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. I'm teaching today again from the idea Jesus is all I need. Look at somebody, tell them Jesus is all I need. Now look back at him and tell him, I know you're right. <clears throat> Jesus is all I need. What a glorious gospel we have received from God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news that God in Christ has made it possible that every man, every woman can be redeemed and reconciled in their relationship with God. And this gospel is so miraculous, it is so magnanimous, it is so marvelous that human language seems to be inadequate to be able to express the spiritual implications that it has for our lives. For God chose to love a people who were loveless. It was the will of our sovereign creator to redeem a people who were created in the image and likeness of God so that they can be brought back into a right relationship with God and live, as the Bible declares, in the place of dominion. God, who is God by himself, God who is eternal, God who is self-existing and self-sustaining, who does not need the people who he created to be in order for him to be, took, takes the initiative to make it possible for them to be brought back in relationship with him. The gospel, the Bible, is without question the greatest love story ever given to humankind because it is the story of how a, our God lovingly will not give up on what he made. And so when you think about how glorious the gospel is, wouldn't it be a tragedy for us to take this good news and treat it in a shallow manner or to seek to try and change it into some kind of counterfeit gospel? Michael Horton. Michael Horton wrote a very disturbing and disruptive book entitled Christless Christianity, the Alternative American Church Gospel. Michael Horton. Michael Horton has written a very disruptive and disturbing book entitled Christless Christianity, the Alternative Gospel of the American Church. And I quote Michael Harden when he says, my concern is that we are dangerously moving to a place today in everyday American church life where the Bible is being mined, M-I-N-E-D, mined for relevant quotes 
while in itself the Bible is treated as though it is irrelevant. He says that God is looked upon as a resource but not as a person to be known, worshipped, and trusted. That Jesus is a coach with a good game plan for us to be victorious rather than recognizing him as the Savior who has already secured our victory. And that salvation is to be looked upon as the best life we experience now rather than being delivered from God's judgment by God himself. That the Holy Spirit is an electrical outlet that we plug into so we can be all that we want to be. I quote Michael Hart Horton again. Michael Horton says, my primary concern is not that the evangelical church is becoming theologically liberal, but that it is becoming theologically vacuous. That means theologically empty. But today, we have from the Apostle Paul in the Word of God, in Holy Scripture, Paul in this magnificent and wonderful letter that he wrote to the church at Colossae. Paul helps us to have clarity on how magnificent and how glorious the gospel of Jesus Christ is. I think we ought to pause parenthetically and give God some praise for this wonderful book called the Bible. We ought to thank God for this letter that Paul wrote to the Christians at Colossae. And Paul opens up this pericope of scripture by saying to us that it pleased God the Father to reconcile us. That it pleased God the Father to reconcile us. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven. The, but Paul says that it pleased God the Father to reconcile us. And the key word in verse 19 is the word fullness. In the Greek, it is the word plerma, plerma. It is the word fullness. And the false teachers known as the Gnostics who were trying to lead the Christians in Colossae astray, they use this word plerma, which means fullness, to speak of the thousands of what they referred to as emanations or lesser gods. They use the word fullness, plerma, to speak of the thousands of emanations or lesser gods. But Paul says, oh no. He says Jesus is not one of these emanations. He's not one of these lesser gods. The totality of these false gods. Paul says, no Jesus is the fullness of God so that in chapter 2 you got your Bibles open just look right over in chapter 2 at verse 9 
Paul says, for in him, that is Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and power. That's a place for us to shout. So I'm going to go on and shout if you don't shout because I understand what I just read. Paul says that in Jesus dwells the fullness, the complete Godhead in himself. And then he says that you and I are complete in him. Paul says that in Jesus Christ you have all of the divinity that you could put in dust. And then he says that because Christ now lives in us that we are complete. That means if I'm complete that means I'm not lacking. If I'm complete that means I ain't fragmented. If I'm complete that means I'm whole. If I'm complete that means I'm strong. If I'm complete that means I'm secure. If I'm complete that means I got peace. If I'm complete I got joy. If I'm complete that means I'm not seeing myself as being mediocre. If I'm complete I know I'm somebody in Jesus Christ. You all look at somebody and say I think I better get my shout on. Oh, Paul says that God found pleasure in reconciling us. And he talks about the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is saying that every divine attribute and characteristic of God is resident in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. And so this is why we read in Philippians chapter 2, the apostle so Paul says let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Another way of saying that is Jesus thought it not too presumptuous to be equal with God. That Jesus is fully God. He was both fully God and fully man at the same time. Paul says Paul says to us he, he says to us that in Christ we see the fullness of God and when you look when you look at the New Testament records when you look at, at the gospels that speak about the life of Jesus Matthew Mark Luke and John you'll see that in Jesus Christ if you want to know what God is like all you got to do is look at Jesus yes because John says in John chapter 1 he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God that, that word word in John's gospel is the Greek word logos John says Jesus is the eternal logos he was in the beginning when God spoke the world into existence when you get to verse 14 in John chapter 1 John says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of God full of grace and truth. That means that God gave us his manifested presence in the person of Jesus Christ. So John says in Christ we have the revelation of God. In Christ we have the inspiration of God. What do you see in the gospels about our God? I'm glad that you asked because some people have the wrong viewpoint about God.
God. They think God is some eternal uh, power who's looking for an opportunity to pounce on you. But I want you to know that God is the most loving person you'll ever meet in your life. That's why the gospel says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know you don't know everything about God. Neither do I. I know you and I, we will never plumb the depths of God's personality. But can I tell you something? While you don't know everything about God and while you will never plumb the depths of his personality, I tell you what you do know, you do know God loves you. And the fact that you know God loves you, that's enough to sustain you every day of your life. That I got a God who loves me and cares about me. What what do we see in Jesus about God? That God has a serving disposition because Jesus when he spoke he said to the disciples that the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. Isn't that an awesome idea that we have a God who's willing to serve us? I tell you that's mind boggling. What does Jesus show us about God? He shows us that God is the truth Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And when Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, who would always abide in our lives, he called him the Spirit of truth. Jesus is not just one ex expression of truth. He's past a philosophical idea. Jesus is the truth. And because he is the truth, there is no falsehood in him because he is the truth. God cannot lie because he is the truth. He is the epitome of wisdom and righteousness and justice. What does Jesus show us about God? He's the God who gives us peace. Not peace after the storm. He's the God who gives you peace in the storm. Somebody still reads the Bible up in here and you remember the boys got caught in a storm one day. Somebody knows storms come unannounced yeah trouble don't ask you can I visit it just shows up they found themselves in a storm the bible says that they were trying to handle it by themselves some of the stipples had took hold of the rudder it was trying to man the rudder some of them was trying to keep hoisting the sail some of them had buckets trying to get the water out of the boat but things looked like it was going from bad to worse have you ever been in a situation in your life and it looked like it goes from bad to worse but then finally Peter says Jesus is on board with us he's down in the hull of the ship but he's asleep and he says I think we better turn to him and they went and shook Jesus woke him up and said master carest thou not that we perish we in a storm out here and you down here sleeping somebody said Jesus was sleeping like a man but he stood up like a god went out on the top of the hull of the ship looked out upon the winds and the 
waves and just said peace be still and the wind went back to his hiding place and the sea got still like a perfect picture the disciples response was what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey his voice am I talking to anybody today who's ever said to Jesus I need you to help me out and he stood up in the midst of your storm he just said peace be still and everything got quiet in your life Jesus says our God is the God who can give you peace not when the storm is over but give you peace while you're going through what you're going through somebody has learned how to shout in the midst of your pain shout in the midst of your problems shout in the midst of your predicament oh beloved the best time to shout is not when the storm is over oh learn how to shout in the enemy's face Paul says that it pleased God the Father to reconcile us to himself. He did it through the fullness of Christ. And, and listen what Paul says. Paul says, listen, he, he says, and he, he, he did it in such a manner. Paul says that he reconciles all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He reconciles all things to himself. Do you know what I find interesting in the Bible, can I tell you what I find interesting in the Bible? Is that when I read scriptures and I read about our salvation from God, is that the Bible always makes it clear that it was God's initiative. I didn't get saved <clears throat> because I was running to God. I wasn't even seeking God. God sought me when I didn't have my mind on him. It's always God's initiative. So Paul says in Romans, Paul says, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's initiative. In Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 2, he says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. It's not that we were just bad off. Bad off. He says, no, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And that we had allowed the demonic to have such a sway in our lives that we were disobedient, transgressors, enemies of God, like all who have gotten caught up in this world world and then around verse 4 he says but have you ever learned how to shout on your butt oh but is a good place to shout because but represents a transition I was in one way but now I'm in another way but God by his grace Paul says, has saved us and caused us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he says he did it by grace. That means it was God's initiative. And I'm telling somebody today, what a wonderful invitation and revelation this is for you and I. This gospel is a glorious gospel because it says God takes the initiative. You are saved today. If you are a child of God and you're saved, you're saved not because of something you did. You're saved because of what God did for you in Christ. 
And the call upon our lives is that if he saves you, you ought to love him so much that you keep chasing him. You ought to love him so much that you keep trying to get closer and closer and closer to God. That's why we come to church Sunday after Sunday. We don't get tired of worshiping God. Oh no, we want to worship him every day. Not just on Sunday, but every day. Because somebody here has learned how to live in the overflow mode. It don't take much for me to holler on Sunday because I've been worshiping him all week long. Because I'm thanking God for what he keeps on doing in my life. And I'm saying to somebody right now in this sanctuary and to the people who are joining us through our virtual and online worship service, I'm talking to you, my brother. I'm talking to you, my sister. You may not have a personal relationship with God, but I'm telling you that God is the hound of heaven, that God is coming after you, that God loves you. God wants you to come into a saving relationship with him. How much, man of God, does God love me? He loves you like you were the only person in the world. That's why we are told in the gospel records that Jesus is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. He got back to the sheepfold. The Bible says that the shepherd only counted 99. But he leaves the 99 in the sheepfold. He goes back out into the wilderness just for that one lost sheep. He picks up that one lost sheep, puts him on his shoulders, and then carries him back to the sheepfold. Somebody said, I was that one lost sheep. That's the kind of God that you serve, that he loves you so much that he's saying to you today, come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home tenderly and lovingly Jesus is calling you calling you oh sinner come home God says today is your day of salvation God says today is your day of deliverance God says today is your day to turn it around God says today is the day that I perform the miracle in your life God says I didn't save a whole world to leave you out God says I want you God says others may write you off Others may count you out. Others may say you don't worth. Others may say you couldn't change. But God says, I'm like a junk man. I go into the alleys and I pick up what others call trash. And I turn trash into treasure. Oh, I'm glad we got this kind of a gospel. But listen, not only does Paul tell us that it was God the Father <clears throat> who took pleasure in reconciling us but then consider God's method consider God's method and the revelation of God's method is to be seen in two significant statements in our text the first statement is found in the B portion of verse 20 and the second statement is found in verses 21 and 22 in the B portion of verse 20 Paul says this he says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And then in verse 21 and 22, Paul says, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, listen carefully, yet now, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. What is God's method of reconciliation? 
God's method of reconciliation is the death of Christ on a cross. God's method of reconciliation is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on a cross. The word atonement, that's a theological term, atonement, if you break it down into syllables, the word atonement means at one mint. At one mint. That that which was separated, that which was divided, that which was alienated has been brought back together. And that's why it is so important, beloved, for you to understand the doctrine of soteriology, which is a word, soteriology means the doctrine of salvation. Do you understand what it means to be saved? I think a lot of times the problem in church life is people, they just operate with a very shallow understanding. They really don't know what they believe. They'll tell somebody, oh, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I go to church. But they, they have never understood the depths of what it means to be saved. And that's why I got joy teaching because I am not satisfied with you living on a surface. I, I, God says he wants me to teach it where you understand it in the depths of your heart. Do you understand how far away you were from God? I'm not talking about across the street. I'm not talking about around the corner. I'm talking about alienated. So far that the Bible speaks of you as the enemy of God. No peace with your creator. And yet God, through Christ, brings atonement. At one minute, what was separated, God brings it together. And because God hates sin, he loves the sinner, but he hates sin. And because God is a holy God, he's righteous, he's just, he cannot overlook my sin. He loves me, but his holiness and his justice and his righteousness has to be satisfied. He just can't turn his back and say, I didn't see it. God says, no, I saw what you did. And what you did has offended me. And I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of loving kindness. And I don't want to leave you in your predicament. But in order to get you out of your predicament, my holiness has got to be satisfied. And the problem is that there's nobody who's able to satisfy my holiness but me. So Jesus becomes a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God satisfies God. And that's why Jehovah Witness and other folk got problems with Jesus because they cannot explain if Jesus is God, then how can God be crucified on a cross and get up from a grave? Because if, if Jesus says from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
how can he speak of the father forsaking him if he's God well God can speak to God God can die for God to satisfy God on the cross for sinners because he's God I ain't got to be able to explain it I just believe it God does for me what I could not do for myself And when you understand that, then you don't take being a Christian lightly. And, and look at the father implications. Here's the father implications. Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Oh, it's 1110. Okay. What then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's your place to scream. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Did you hear what I just said? God did not spare his own son. He didn't save you by sending an archangel. He didn't send Raphael. He didn't send Gabriel. He didn't send Michael. He did not save you with a committee of seraphims or cherubims. He gave his only begotten son. Oh, I need you to feel me. He told Abraham to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and Isaac put him on an altar. But God told Abraham, steal your hand. He let Abraham take his son off the altar. But God the Father put his son on the altar and he didn't take him off. He did not spare his son. He let his son die. Are you ready to scream? If he did not spare his son, then what would make you think God will not give you all things freely? You ain't gotta beg God to bless you. God wants to bless you. Freely he gives you grace. Freely he gives you mercy. Freely he gives you loving kindness. Freely he gives you joy. Freely he gives you peace. Freely he gives you liberation. Freely he gives you deliverance. Freely he gives you breakthroughs. Freely he makes a way out of no way. Freely he wakes you up every morning. Freely he gives you strength. Freely he gives you power. Freely he gives you assurance. Freely he gives you the anointing. That's why you ought to look at somebody and tell them, I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord and it ain't no accident. <laughs> and I ought not do this. I ought not do it because somebody's going to start running. I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it. God is so great that your blessings are not dependent on your requests. 
answers prayers that you didn't even pray. You ought to thank God he doesn't withhold from you because you ain't got enough sense to ask for it. You ought to thank God he doesn't withhold from you because you don't have the discipline to get on your knees and get in his face. Our God is so awesome that he blesses us in spite of us. Wrap it up, Walter. It's 1114. Okay. Can I have two minutes? Can I have two minutes? Okay. Wrap it up. Why? I say this and I'm through. Why is God so committed to your reconciliation? What is, what is God's motivation to reconcile us why is he so committed to draw us closer to himself well listen to what Paul says in verse 23 Paul says if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not uh, moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I Paul became a minister Paul says God is so committed to your reconciliation and what motivates him to keep drawing you to him is he wants us to live a life of holiness he wants us to live a life blameless he wants us to take on the character of his son, Jesus Christ. And when Paul says, if you continue in the faith and don't give up your hope, <clears throat> Paul is not questioning whether the Christians at Colossae would continue in the faith. It's not like, well, if you, he is, he's really saying, I know you're gonna continue. And I know you're gonna hold on to the hope. And God believes that you and I will not turn our backs on him. That we'll hold on to what he gave us. Yeah. That we'll hold on to this hope. Because this gospel is too glorious to let it go. And if you're a child of God and you've been walking with God, you've been living by his word. And his will is in his word. And if you've been living for him, you know what God can do. And you know what he will do. And you know the difference between light and darkness. Because I used to be in the darkness, but now I'm in the light. I used to be blind, but now I can see. And because of what God has done in my life, and because how far he's brought me from, ain't no way I'm going back. No, I ain't got nothing to go back to. I'm going to keep pressing my way in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I was down in the South one time. Uh, Kathy, I was in the South, down in South Carolina, that era, Earl. And they sang these line hymns. And they started singing, I'll never die while Jesus lives, nor lose my holy right. I'll keep that which he gave to me while Jesus keeps my life.
Oh, hallelujah. Anybody remember the line hymns? I'll never die while Jesus lives. Ah, you remember that? Yeah, yeah. They, they were singing that, you know. It'll make the hair stand up on your head, Walter. You were not even a thought in me or your mother's womb when I heard that. Amen. But I tell you what, I'm going to sit down with your son and I'm going to line one with you and you just follow my lead. Amen. It'll bless you richly. Amen. That's part of the history of the black church experience. Amen. That's God's desire. He wants us to live for him. He wants us to be vessels of honor. And why does he want us to be vessels of honor? And I'm through. <coughs> because God wants us to experience his glory. You see, when we talk about our salvation experience, we can say, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I shall be saved. We can say, well, I've been justified. God is sanctifying me, and one day he's going to glorify me. But if you know you're going to be glorified, then Paul says, why don't you live now like you're going to live when you see God? In other words, you ain't got to wait to go to heaven to have some heaven. God, Paul says no, you can experience some heaven right now because God wants you to live so close to him that you can have his glory manifested in your life. When I say have God's glory manifested in your life, now I'm talking about the manifested presence of God. You see, omnipresence means God is everywhere at the same time but the manifested presence of God is different from omnipresence. Everybody has to deal with the omnipresence of God because that means that there's nowhere you can be where God is not. But the manifested presence of God, everybody don't get that because God chooses when he'll make his manifested presence felt in the world. And so get it like this. Remember that when God said to Moses, build the tabernacle and then it was under Solomon that Moses that God built had Solomon to build the temple you remember that when they built the temple that the Bible says that the glory of God the Shekinah of glory the kabod the weight of God was so heavy in the temple that the Levitical choir Joe couldn't even go in and the priest couldn't go in and minister because of the glory of God could you imagine coming to this sanctuary on a Sunday and the glory of God be so heavy in the house that she can't even walk into the sanctuary that there's smoke in the building oil running down the floor and you just start falling on your knees out there in the hallway and praising our God well beloved you do know that your bodies are the temple of God that God has taken residency in your life so if God takes residence in my life and God's desires for me to get close to him. He says, get so close to me that I can bless your life. I can fill your life with the kabod, with the glory. I fill your life so much with my glory that my manifested presence will show up. And when the manifested presence of God shows up in your life, there's going to be miracles. There's going to be signs. There's going to be wonders. And so God says, get close to me. So every day you can walk around saying, I'm looking 
waiting for a miracle. I'm expecting a miracle. I'm anticipating that God's about to do something great. God's about to do something marvelous. God's about to do something special. God's about to do something splendiferous in my life because I know God purposes to do great things for me and great things through me. I'm out of here, Canaan. Somebody over here shout, glory! Somebody over here shout, hallelujah! Glory! Hallelujah! Come on, glory! Hallelujah! Come on! Have I got about 50 of y'all that can put it together and shout glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory God, hallelujah God for the great things you have done, glory, hallelujah God for the things you're doing right now, glory, hallelujah God for what you are about to do. Thanks be unto God for such a glorious gospel as what God has given us in the Bible, in his word. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for such a glorious gospel. I was saved by this gospel. We have been redeemed, God, by this gospel. Seal it in our hearts. And we thank you, God, for what you are yet doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.